Good morning. Today we're going to start a series on the Book of Lamentations, um, alternating with the Bruce's good series on the, the church. So I'd like for you to turn to the Book of Lamentations uh, in the Old Testament after Jeremiah and before the Book of Ezekiel. And uh, the 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 subject today is uh, an invitation to the Book of Lamentations. Um, I thought maybe that was necessary uh, for a couple of reasons. First, the Book of Lamentations uh, may not be the most popular book or familiar book in the Bible. Maybe I'm wrong, uh, but that's uh, one reason why I think it's appropriate to spend some time inviting us to the study of the book and considering uh, the uh, profitability of the book. Uh, a second is, uh, I think it's fair to say that uh, Lament, which is, as the title suggests, what the book uh, consists of, uh, is, uh, is not uh, common in especially the West and in the churches in the West. Uh, maybe different in different parts of the world, but I think it's fair to say there's a, a lack of uh, lament in Western churches. Now, in our own case, because we uh, sing the Psalms of Lament, maybe that's uh, less true. Uh, but still, it's, uh, I think, an uncomfortable subject, and so I want to spend a little bit of time, um, this lesson, in fact, uh, inviting us to the study of the book. So what I want to do is first give a very basic introduction to the book. Uh, Lord willing, we'll expand on that uh, the next time we uh, come to this class. But then I want to give uh, three sort of uh, connections or uh, context for the book that I think will help us uh, to accept the invitation to study the book. Uh, but before we uh, begin the introduction, let me read, I'll read uh, verses 1 through 12 of uh, Lamentations chapter 1. How lonely sits the city that was full of people. How like a widow is she who was great among the nations. The princess among the provinces has become a slave. She whips, weeps bitterly in the night. Her tears are on her cheeks. Among all her lovers, she has none to comfort her. All her friends have dealt treacherously with her. They have become her enemies. Judah has gone into captivity under affliction and hard servitude. She dwells among the nations. She finds no rest. All her persecutors overtake her in dire straits. The roads to Zion mourn because no one comes to the set feasts. All her gates are desolate. Her priests sigh. Her virgins are afflicted. And she is in bitterness. Her adversaries have become the master, her enemies prosper, for the Lord has afflicted her because of the multitude of her transgressions. Her children have gone into captivity before the enemy, and from the daughter of Zion all her splendor has departed. Her princes have become like deer that find no pasture, that flee without strength before the pursuer. In the days of her affliction and roaming, Jerusalem remembers all her pleasant things that she had in the days of old. When her people fell into the hand of the enemy with no one to help her, the adversary saw her and mocked at her downfall. Jerusalem has sinned gravely. Therefore, she has become vile. All who honored her despise her because they have seen her nakedness. Yes, she sighs and turns away. Her uncleanness is in her skirts. She did not consider her destiny. Therefore, her collapse was awesome. She had no comforter. O oh Lord, behold my affliction, 
for the enemy is exalted. The adversary has spread his hand over all her pleasant things, for she has seen the nations enter her sanctuary, those whom you commanded not to enter your assembly. All her people sigh. They seek bread. They have given their valuables for food to restore life. See, O Lord, and consider, for I am scorned. Is it nothing to you, all you who pass by? Behold and see if there is any sorrow like my sorrow, which has been brought on me, which the Lord has inflicted in the day of his fierce anger. If you like, uh, verse 12 is uh, the book's invitation. Uh, Is it nothing to you? Behold and see. As I said, I want to give a basic introduction uh, as briefly as I can, uh, introduce the book, uh, and then talk about uh, why we should study the book. Uh, Invitation is the positive uh, way I put it, but uh, that's uh, where we're going today. So first, just a definition. So a lament is a passionate expression of grief. Uh, This book is uh, a corporate or communal lament, or really a collection of five poems of lament. Uh, The occasion is the destruction of Jerusalem around 587 B.C. by the Babylonians. I already mentioned that we're familiar with the Psalms. Uh, The Psalms include both individual and corporate laments. Maybe Psalm 80 is the most familiar of the corporate laments. Uh, What are some of the main uh, values, just again, as a basic introduction for studying laments? Uh, And our pastor talked about this some when uh, we studied a Psalm of Lament. Well, the first thing is that uh, this book and in general the the scriptural laments uh, teach us how to come to terms with sorrow and suffering and perplexity and do so by giving voice to those things, uh, but also by giving us a proper perspective on these things. And you saw that even as we read in Lamentations. It's not just an outpouring of grief. The... the, uh, author, whom I will refer to as Jeremiah, I think that's, there's a good case for that. Uh, Jeremiah says these things come from the Lord's hand. That's the right perspective on our suffering. And emphasize, uh, the book emphasizes again and again that God is righteous and faithful. It's uh, striking how much of the book of Lamentations praises God uh, for who he is. So in response to that proper perspective, the book calls us to reflection Confession and repentance. So I'll read uh, Lamentations 3, 40 and 41. Let us search out and examine our ways and turn back to the Lord. Let us lift up our hearts and minds to God in heaven. In fact, the whole book is really that kind of extended uh, reflection on what has happened in addition, um, or maybe in the midst of the outpouring of, of uh, sorrow and grief. The book also points us to hope, and I want to come back to that in the the last of the three uh, contexts uh, for the book that we'll bring up. Now, uh, all of those things are important for us, but um, I think as we read through the book, we'll realize that we need maybe a little bit more of the context, more of uh, the setting of the book uh, before we can really appreciate the, uh, the great depth and power of the book. So as I said, I want to do that by looking at uh, three, so you can think of them as three contexts, I mean the immediate historical context for Lamentations and then sort of, you might say, zooming out from that. 
or you could think of it as uh, three connections that we can make um, with the book. Uh, whose laments are these? Do they have anything to do with us? Uh, what's the right connection with us? And, and I'm going to do so in terms of three, uh, I couldn't find quite the right word, three figures, uh, Israel, Adam, and Christ. So those are the three, the, the next three points of the outline. We're going to think about uh, lament and lamentations in the immediate context of Israel, and then think of uh, Adam and the fall, and then think of uh, Christ, his suffering, and our redemption in him. So that's the outline. Any, any questions uh, so far? Yes, Mark. A confession. Yeah, you, you can already, I think, see that in chapter one. It's uh, they confess uh, their sins uh, against them. Jerusalem has sinned gravely. But yeah. Other thoughts? Maybe I should say one other thing up front, which is uh, I sort of wrestled whether you know this is a good topic to discuss. I actually asked the session specifically about this because a lot of us have been through various kinds of suffering. Uh, the pandemic still has ongoing effects. Um, you know, is this just adding sorrow to sorrow or is this a helpful perspective on our suffering? I hope it'll be a helpful perspective on uh, whatever it is we've been through. But uh, so I almost want to say, if you know, if you want to leave the room now, you can, because it's not going to get any better. Uh, yes. Oh, oh. <laughs> we'll add a comment. Uh, yeah. Here, here. Okay. Uh, you mentioned at the beginning that in the West, a whole other thing that I've been going through that's saying a lot of the same things that you started to say that this is very foreign to kind of Western culture, I would say, especially in America. Uh, a whole lot that could be said, but I, I think extremely good to be able to dig deeply into this. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, it Jeff? Yeah, well, so you mentioned sort of personal applications, but I was thinking also about corporate ones. Uh, if the situation Genocidal yeah. Attacks where it's, it's not just Yeah, I do. I'll probably emphasize that aspect more because that's that's really the perspective of the book. I mean, it's it's uh, Lady Jerusalem personifies the people and their suffering. But that's right. That's uh, so talk about the West. I mean, we tend to think in individualistic terms, but. Um, this is a corporate lament. Now, thank you. Okay, so then uh, the first of the three figures, the first of the context is the immediate context. And I want to talk, expand a little bit about what I said about uh, the, the uh, occasion for the writing of the Book of Lamentation, but especially in terms of uh, the sorts of things that you can expect to see in the book. Okay, so... What is the cause for lament in the book of Lamentations? Well, the land was under siege by the Babylonians. Uh, the Babylonians had taken most of the countryside, and so the people who lived in the countryside, as they could, found refuge in the city of Jerusalem. And then the city of Jerusalem was under siege. They were under siege for a long time. Uh, eventually, uh, the Babylonians came in and basically destroyed the city and exported, uh, deported the inhabitants of the city. So what does that look like in the book? Well, I'm sure it looks like horrible suffering. And again, I'm telling you ahead of time, in case you haven't read the book recently, 
This is the sort of thing that the book talks about. It talks about famine, cannibalism, slaughter, sexual assault, a wholesale destruction of society, including the loss of the leaders, loss of the young, loss of the old. And then the shame and humiliation and bewilderment that come in reflection on those things. And in particular for the believing Israelite is the fact that the temple was defiled, looted, and burned. So the means of grace, which we've talked about recently, the means of grace were basically removed from them. The prophets, the priests, the kings, all of the leaders of society, and they were exiled from the land that God had promised to give them. So this has tremendous symbolic value, but also uh, symbolic implications, but also just the personal implications. This is the land that God had brought them into, and they were, for the most part, removed from it. <clears throat> Furthermore, none of this came or should have come by surprise. They were warned again and again. The covenant curses at the end of Leviticus, Leviticus 26, and at the end of Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 28, warned exactly about the things that you read about in Lamentations. You can look back in those chapters of Leviticus and Deuteronomy and see exactly the warnings uh, of what would happen. They had been warned by the fall of the northern kingdom uh, of Assyria, they had been warned by the prophets and especially by Jeremiah, uh, who lived through this uh, terrible time. All of those are the causes for lament in the book. Now, I said I was giving you an invitation to the book of Lamentations, but one reasonable response might be, well, that doesn't sound like me. I'm not going through those things. They brought it on themselves. Why should I care? Why should I study the book of Lamentations? Now, I don't think any of you would say that because uh, you understand our covenant connection. Uh, so let me just encourage you to reflect on a couple of passages in the New Testament that warn us against exactly that sort of approach. Um, I'm going to quote from 1 Corinthians 10 and Romans 11. So 1 Corinthians uh, 10, verse 1 Paul says, moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea. And he goes on from there. So in, in Corinthians, he's warning them, especially about idolatry, but uh, about other sins. And he says he's going to do that by giving them examples of what their fathers experienced. But he wasn't writing to a synagogue. He was writing to a Christian church. But the fathers he had in mind were the people of the Old Testament, right? So that's the first context, the first immediate connection for us. These are not some distant ancient people. These are our fathers. These are our people who suffered these things. It's striking if you go on in what Paul says, he even enforces the point this way after 10 verses of <laughs> what happened to the uh, Israelites uh, and in the wanderings and coming into the promised land. Paul says this in verse 11. Now, all these things happened to them as examples, and they were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. So it's interesting. He says those things uh, were recorded 
And they happened to them as examples, but they were written for us, for our warning. And he says, in a sense, the stakes are higher because the ends of the ages have come upon us. We have the coming of the Christ, and the, in a sense, we've entered into a new age. How could we ignore what happened to our fathers? The stakes are even higher for us. That's why he says, therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. So when you read Lamentations, don't think of that as a distant, unconnected people. That's us. That's our fathers. That's the experience that they had. And, and if we don't pay attention, uh, it's even worse for us because we have greater light, because we have the coming of the Christ. There's another uh, warning, and this, this is in the book of Romans, and I hope this isn't overkill, but, you know, uh, one, maybe it's an anti-Semitic, uh, I'm not sure, uh, response would be, well, it was, you know, it's just their fault. Uh, we would never do things like that because we have the gospel, we have this, we have that. Um, Paul in Romans 11, in using this metaphor of the vine and uh, how the, graft, the Gentiles were grafted into the vine, but the unbelieving Jews were broken off, uh, gives this warning to that sort of thinking. He says, you will say then branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. He's speaking to Gentiles. Well said, because of unbelief, they were broken off and you stand by faith. Do not be haughty, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he may not spare you either. Therefore, consider the goodness and severity of God on those who fell severity toward you goodness if you continue in his goodness. Otherwise, you also will be cut off. Now, in the context, Paul is not talking about uh, individuals who once believed but then would be cut off. But he's talking more at the corporate level and especially warning the Gentiles of this uh, false sense of superiority over the Jews who rejected the Messiah. He's saying, you know, when you act that way, you're, you're setting yourself up for a fall. And you don't realize that you have you're no better uh, in that sense than the Jewish people. If God did not spare the natural branches, he may not spare you either. So do we really think that the church in the West is beyond doing what Israel did? Or even the church in the U.S.? Or even the RPCNA, that we could never go through things like this? Paul says we should pay attention. We should consider and not be proud. So that's the, the first, and I know that doesn't sound like, well, let's come to a party because otherwise, you know, you're going to get killed or something. But uh, that's the first uh, in part of the invitation. And that is, this is uh, not some distant thing, nor is it something that could never happen to us. This is part of our history, and God has given these things to us uh, for a purpose. Now, they're hard things, and that's why I listed things like cannibalism. They don't usually talk about cannibalism in a good Sunday school class, but I mean, they're very hard things in the book, but they're things that God brought about for a purpose. And uh, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, all these things uh, are recorded for a reason. Now I want to pass from that to a, sort of a larger context, but you know, again, if I've insulted you, like, you know, if you want to leave or something, uh, you can. And, and no, seriously, any comments or questions uh, on that sort of immediate context and its connection to us?
Yeah. We're not, we're not that far from right, I think, yeah. I mean, especially if you think of, of a nation that has in God we trust on our coins, you know, this sort of veneer of <coughs> Christian profession. profession. Yeah. Uh, Bruce? Lest we think that we stand reminded of what the Jews said, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. We have, we have God in our midst. We can deceive ourselves or clothe ourselves with self-righteousness while missing the point terribly. Yeah. Good. Okay, so I want to go on from then the uh, immediate uh, context, uh, the covenant-breaking nation of Israel, to uh, take a, a slightly, well, a, a larger context, and that is uh, the covenant-breaking <coughs> Adam and the fall. I think it's important for us to step back from the immediate uh, suffering in uh, the nation of Israel at the time of the destruction of Jerusalem uh, to think about the root of all suffering, the root of all human suffering and uh, beyond that. And that is uh, that uh, Adam uh, broke covenant with God and the curse uh, came on him and on all of creation. It's a very uh, striking uh, uh, catechism question. You know, into what estate did the fall bring mankind? The fall brought mankind into an estate of sin and misery. We could just have said sin and dwelt on sin, but the misery that uh, came with the fall is uh, an important thing for us to keep in mind. And I will say that this, this is especially difficult, I think, in our own time when um, the sort of the secular, I don't know, evolutionary, atheistic, whatever words you want to use, worldview is that whatever is happening in the world is, is natural, right? This is just what happens. You know, animals kill animals and, and man has evolved this far and um, you can't, you know, you may be sorry that bad things happen, but it's just sort of the way things are. That's how we got to where we are, you might say. <laughs> but that's completely different from the biblical point of view and it's, it's really, I think, difficult for us uh, living in the world to keep that in mind. This is not the way things are supposed to be in the sense that not the way they were created. Uh, this kind of sorrow and suffering that you that I just talked about in in the fall of Jerusalem is is uh, seen all around us all the time and maybe not in that severity and maybe in different ways. But all of those come from uh, the fall. Now, I was thinking about uh, this point actually some time ago and uh, at the same time I was reading uh, Thomas Boston's human nature and its fourfold state. So for some people, that'll mean something, maybe not. So Boston lived in the early 18th century. This is a book about uh, human nature, you know, before the fall, uh, after the fall, uh, for those who are redeemed or regenerated, and then in the consummate state of, uh, of uh, the new heavens and the new earth. But uh, Boston, at the end of the first chapter the chapter on man's original righteousness, has uh, this, this is his third uh, use or application of lamentation. He says, here was a stately building, man carved like a fair palace, but now lying in ashes. Let us stand and look on the ruins and drop a tear. This is a lamentation and shall be for a lamentation. He's quoting from the Bible there. Could we avoid weeping if we saw our country ruined and turned by the enemy into a wilderness? If we saw our houses on fire and our property perishing in the flames? 
But all this comes far short of the dismal sight. Man fallen as a star from heaven. Ah, may we not now say, oh, that we were as in months past, when there was no stain in our nature, no cloud on our minds, no pollution in our hearts. He actually goes on for a page and a half, uh, lamenting the uh, fallen state of man. I think that's, again, it's it's uh, what we live as uh, unbelievers and certainly what we see around us. But uh, do we really reckon with the, the need for lamentation over the fall and uh, the ruin that was brought by the fall? And the ruin that was brought to all of creation, I couldn't really think of a better word than uh, collateral damage. Uh, when, you, when you read the book of Lamentations, you see the, the sin of, you might say, the responsible people in the society but you also see the terrible collateral damage. I mean, there are infants dying because their mothers can't supply them with food. It's a, it's a horrible thing. And that is consistent with the collateral damage of the fall of Adam. That, that's the ruin of all of creation. So here I, I decided not to read from these references, but I'll just encourage you, if you have uh, time this uh, afternoon, to think of uh, Isaiah 24, 1 through 13. Kind of an apocalyptic part of Isaiah where he sort of looks at the devastation that comes and uh, comes from uh, covenant-breaking people. And it comes on the whole earth. The whole earth is mourning and withered. Or Romans 8, 20 and 21, right? The whole creation groans in anticipation of the final renewal. So I think this is uh, especially uh, helpful for us to think about because uh, the Book of Lamentations especially attributes and clearly uh, attributes the situation to their own sin. And in our own circumstances, right, you know, why was this man born blind? And Jesus says, you know, what well, was for the glory of God? It wasn't because of his sin or his parents' sin. That is, you can't necessarily assign individual sins always to individual sufferings. <clears throat> Excuse me. But in putting lamentations in that larger context, we can think of our own suffering as in terms of the suffering that came on the whole world through covenant breaking. And by the way, that the step from Israel to Adam is also important in terms of so history of redemption, biblical theology, whatever. Um, right. When Adam and Eve sinned, they were exiled uh, from paradise, just as Israel was exiled from the promised land. There's, a, I think, a pretty clear connection uh, biblically. Uh, Adam is somehow functioning as a type of Christ. They're both called sons of God. And uh, I do think the Mosaic Covenant is an administration of the covenant of grace. I'm not saying they're under a covenant of works. But there's still, I think, a connection to be made uh, between the first context, the immediate one, and the larger context, which is the fall. Any, uh, going over that fairly quickly, at least by my standards, any, any comments or questions about the second context or the second figure, uh, Adam, that helps us understand the book of Lamentations? So let me move then to uh, the third figure, and this is uh, maybe the part of the invitation we would most like to accept, and that is the book of Lamentation points us, Lamentations points us to Christ. So where Adam and Israel failed, Christ is the obedient son who suffered and yet uh, brought about a great uh, victory. 
I don't know how much you think about uh, Christ when you, whenever you read the book of Lamentations, but this connection with, uh, of Christ with Lamentations actually has a long history in the Christian church. Uh, I don't know how many of you, when I read Lamentations 12, thought of uh, Handel's Messiah. Is it nothing to you, all you who pass by, behold and see if there is any sorrow like my sorrow? The librettist for, for Handel's Messiah uses that verse in the part of the Messiah on the, the sufferings of Messiah. And actually, uh, this, as I said, has a very long history. Uh, readings from the Book of Lamentations have been part of uh, Holy Week. So, quotation, Holy Week liturgies going way, way back in the church. Uh, when the church adopted a, a church calendar, I'm not, I'm not affirming that's a great thing, but uh, when the church adopted a great calendar, uh, Lamentations was a significant part of the liturgies, uh, readings to point them to the sufferings of Christ. And in case you wonder, no, I didn't time this to be the beginning of Holy Week. If you want to know about the timing, ask American Airlines. Don't ask me. <laughs> but still, I think that's a tremendous insight because the Book of Lamentations does point us to Christ. In some ways, uh, that are clearer than others. So let me make just some general comments, but this is a point I want to, to bring out more as we go along in our study. Christ lamented over Jerusalem, Luke 13, Luke 19. You can see him doing that. And in that way, you may remember that when Jesus asked who, you know, who the people thought he was, one of the characters from the Old Testament that was mentioned by the disciples was Jeremiah. He was a person who seemed to resemble or whom Christ seemed to resemble in his ministry because uh, perhaps of his lamentations. Christ in uh, Matthew 26 in the Garden of Gethsemane says he is sorrowful even unto death. And you can especially pick this up uh, from Isaiah. So I'll read Isaiah 53 uh, verses uh, 3 through 5. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteem him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed." The significance of that is that not only does Christ suffer and are his sufferings represented in the book of Lamentations, they're represented as sufferings for us, that is, bearing the punishments that were due to us. But also part of the richness of understanding Christ's presence in Lamentations is that not only did he suffer for us, but he also suffers with us. In fact, it's striking that the the clearest reference I'll come to in a second, and the clearest connection to Lamentations is right in the middle of the book. It's the high point of the book in some ways, in which uh, it's as if he's saying, uh, you know, you've gone through two chapters and you're going to go through two more, but in the midst of this, uh, we see the sufferings of Christ. So he knows our sorrow. He suffers with us. Let me... uh, Make a let's let's turn to at least uh, one one other part of Lamentations. So turn to Lamentations chapter three, 
Uh, Lord willing, next time we wake, I'll uh, meet. I'll, uh, for this class, I'll talk about some of the poetic structure of the book, and maybe justify this. You know, the third chapter, sort of being the the climax of the book in in some ways. But uh, just the the first uh, verse of Lamentations three, I am the man who has seen affliction by the rod of his wrath. You have to be reading both before and after this, but there's a there's a striking shift in the speaker. Uh, not speaking as an observer, uh, the way the I is speaking earlier, and not speaking as the sufferer, who the, the, the we, the lady uh, Jerusalem, does elsewhere. But suddenly we have a, an individual who speaks of his own suffering. And it's uh, really striking uh, to read the first uh, part of that chapter and see the connections between what this, uh, the man says, I am the man who has seen affliction, and what it is that Christ suffered. And that sort of uh, shift in speaker we talked about when we were uh, studying the, the Trinity, that you see this sort of thing in uh, the Psalms, and you see this especially also in the um, so-called servant songs in the book of Isaiah, in the last part of Isaiah, where uh, sometimes the prophet is speaking, well, really the Messiah is speaking in the name of the, the nation, and then sometimes the Messiah speaking uh, in his own voice uh, for himself. And there's a similar sort of uh, striking shift at the beginning of uh, chapter 3 of Lamentations, which uh, points us especially to the sufferings of Christ as being in the, the middle of the book. And I'm not saying that's the other reference. There are even a couple of allusions in the New Testament that make connections with Lamentations and the sufferings of Christ on the cross. But I want to step back again and think about the the bigger picture. So we talked about Israel and Adam, so we went backwards, but then then Christ. And of course, Christ is the one, the ultimate fulfillment. He he succeeds, he obeys the covenant where uh, Adam and Israel broke the covenant. Um, He restores us from exile, from alienation. He is the one who uh, suffered the curse for us so that we would, have all things made new. So Revelation 24, no more tears, no more cur- curse, all of creation renewed. That's what's promised in uh, the book of uh, Lamentations in connection with Christ. And that's the, the last part of the series that I was talking about before. So Mark asked about these points. I, I talked about reflection and confession and repentance but the last part is the striking hope that's in the middle of the book of Lamentations. So if, you, if you're still in chapter 3, if you just turn over to, to uh, verses uh, 22 through 24, you'll find the most popular b- verses in the book of Lamentations. Maybe the only verses in the book of Lamentations you've heard, unless you've listened to Handel's Messiah recently. Through the Lord's mercies we are not consumed, because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I hope in him. So the striking thing about that is that it comes immediately after the the statement, I am the man. So verses 1 through 21 are setting the stage. That's It is because the Messiah suffered these things for us and because he suffers with us that through the Lord's mercies we are not consumed. That's 
the hope in the book, but the hope is all connected uh, to God's faithfulness, certainly, but especially his faithfulness in sending uh, the Messiah for us. So there is a close connection between these three parts of the invitation, I hope you see, even though you're immediately drawn to the terrible devastation of the city of Jerusalem uh, when the siege and the uh, final conquest came. Uh, if you step back, you can think of this as part of the larger uh, suffering that came on us because of Adam's fall. But if you stop there, you won't have any hope. And it's because of the promised Messiah, who was promised, of course, to Israel also, um, that we have hope, that we can uh, read the book and accept the invitation, I hope, even to hear the hard part, because we still lament, as a Dan was just talking about. We, we, there are plenty of things for us to see in contact with uh, what the book of Lamentations says outside of chapter 3. But we have hope because of uh, Christ and his redemption. Let me pause there and see if you have any uh, comments or questions. I'm not going to... Like this isn't like the RSVP kind of invitation. You don't have to say whether you can just like not come back or come back if you want to. But uh, seriously, any any thoughts about <clears throat> the invitation to Lamentations or any of the connections that uh, we saw? Okay, I did not expect to have extra time. <clears throat> I thought I had too much to talk about. Let me <clears throat> read... It was kind of an interesting thing to me that this connection, especially between uh, the destruction of Jerusalem and uh, Adam and Eve, was made uh, very early uh, after the death of Christ in one of the Jewish writings. So there's uh, this thing called a Targum. This is a translation of the Old Testament into Aramaic, along with some <coughs> rabbinic commentary. So that's, that's what a Targum is in general. It's uh, the text in Aramaic but also with rabbinic commentary. And there's a Targum on Lamentations, and it has an introductory comment. Uh, as I said, uh, there's a long history in the church going back to the Septuagint, so before the time of Christ, of connecting Jeremiah as the author of uh, Lamentations. Maybe more on that next time. But here's how the Targum on Lamentations begins. Uh, Jeremiah the prophet and high priest said, how has it been decreed against Jerusalem and her people that they should be condemned to banishment? And that Acha, so Acha is the Hebrew word uh, which is translated in our Bibles, how, it's the first word of uh, the book of Lamentations. Uh, so how in the sense of, you know, how could this happen? <clears throat> so how is it, how has it been decreed against Jerusalem and her people that they should be condemned to banishment <clears throat> and that Acha should be pronounced over them in mourning? just as Adam and Eve were condemned when they were banished from the Garden of Eden and the Lord of the world pronounced Acha over them in mourning. So particularly interesting that the, the Jewish uh, tradition connected the destruction of Jerusalem with the uh, fall and uh, this banishment with their exile uh, from the land of promise. Where they get Jeremiah as a high priest, I don't think anyone knows, but uh, that was just part of this. Okay, well, let's close in prayer then.